get your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to Mark. Mark chapter 2. Um, Mark chapter 2, as we um, begin, we're not going to fully turn our attention uh, this time of year to Christmas today. Um, this is a, a passage of Scripture that, uh, as I began studying Mark personally, uh, a couple of months ago, this is a passage of Scripture that uh, that has been printed off and in my binder so that I could study it uh, for for a month or more now. I've just, because of things that have gone on, uh, I, I didn't feel like I could preach it until this week. Uh, as we, we think about this, um, I, I title this The Purpose of Christmas because I want us to understand that, uh, that Christmas is special. Christmas is unique because of what it means, because of what Christ means uh, for each of us, what, what Christ's overarching purpose was. You know, I, I fear sometimes that our, um, our mentality toward Christmas, our mentality uh, is, is more about the traditions. The, the traditions that we know of at Christmas are the main course, and Jesus is the salt and pepper we sprinkle on top. God help us if that's the case in our lives. When you encounter this uh, this passage, this small passage today, you may when we read it, you're going to say, "What does that have to do with Christmas?" I'll get there in just a minute. But I, I want you to understand that that this whole in, event of Christmas, in, in the, this coming of Christ to the earth, Jesus came to reach the unreachable, to touch the untouchable. To radically change lives that are lost and undone. If we're truly going to understand the purpose of Christmas, we must begin with where we were, maybe where you are today, and to see how Christ's uh, incarnation, how His appearance on this earth alters everything. So read with me in Mark sorry, chapter 2, verse 13. Scripture says this, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. First thing I want to talk to you about this morning is a foundational trust in our lives. A foundational trust for you and me. And that is this, that Jesus' authority is absolute. If we're going to celebrate Christmas as worship to the Lord, we begin with an understanding that this, this babe born in a manger was born not just as a baby, not just born to Mary and Joseph. This is the Christ child. And what He says, what He teaches is absolute authority for our lives. This, this passage is the call of Levi, or, 
Matthew to, to follow Christ. Jesus is walking by the sea there, and he comes up to Matthew. Matthew's sitting at the tax collector's booth. That was his chosen career. That was his chosen profession. And Jesus says to him, follow me. That's a, that's a pretty simple statement. But when he says it, Matthew, the Bible says, literally, just left his stuff and began to follow after Christ. He began to follow. Why? Because he recognized that Jesus, his authority is absolute. His authority is, is top. There's none above him. His words are not up for argument. His call to go is a call to go on purpose with him, for him, in him. And so he establishes this, this foundational truth. Look, Jesus, Jesus is, is teaching in an unusual fashion. The Scripture says that when they heard them, that when they heard him speak, they stood in amazement at what he was speaking because he, he taught not like the scribes and Pharisees, but he taught as one who had authority. And so he's teaching in an unusual and supernatural way. And it's piercing hearts and, and, and calling lives out. Matthew has heard the teaching. He's heard some things about Jesus so that when Jesus comes by and says, follow me, Matthew does what Jesus says. That, that follow me. Listen to what I say. Observe everything I do and do likewise. The simple response, Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Do you understand? Listen to me this morning. Do you understand that when you sit under the teaching of God's Word, the expected, the demanded response by the Word of God is obedience. Y'all know that? I don't stand up here Sunday after Sunday just to make you have a good time in church. I like it when you smile. I like it when you look like you're alive in church. But the goal is not so you can say, hey, I went to church today. The goal is so that you can hear, uh, hear the Spirit move, hear the Spirit speak as Wendy prayed, and that you can obey the foundational trust that we must have and understand is that Jesus is absolute authority in our lives. We... We have to be aware there's some threats to that today. And I have to be very honest with you this morning. One of the threats is something that I'm very familiar with, and that is this concept of common sense. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe there is such thing as common sense. And I believe it's important that we have some, okay, in, in the way we conduct our lives. But I, I want you to understand that when you apply common sense to the teachings of Scripture, Sometimes you don't move in faith. Sometimes I don't move in faith. See, I was taught that uh, that you know don't count your chickens before they hatch. That makes sense. That's common sense. I I, I was taught that that so you you don't move, you don't rush ahead, and you don't lag behind. Common sense will cause us to do either or the other. So, so this, this common sense mentality is practical deism in our day. That is that the idea of God is, is bound. We, we seem to think sometimes that God is bound to natural laws and He would never ask us to do anything that doesn't meet with our common sense standards. Y'all, that is not biblical. 
that is not true. I mean, it's not common sense that Jesus would look at Peter and say, hey, step out of that boat on the water. It's not common sense that Peter said, okay. Glad I made that step. Scared you then. It's not common sense. But the reality is this. When Jesus calls, I mean, Matthew's sitting in a lucrative business. He's in a lucrative business. Yet, when Christ calls, Matthew just walks away. He walks away. So common sense can get in our way of this foundational trust that Jesus' authority is absolute. We can hear it. We can even know what it says. But because common sense is louder, we refuse to obey. Another thing that gets in our way is this. Subjective emotionalism. That is, Jesus is the authority of Jesus is subjective to how I feel about it. That's an oxymoron. Because if, if, if when you encounter the teachings of Christ, if you encounter Jesus, and the first thing that you have to do is see how you feel about it, then He's not authority at all. You are. And that's not the faith Christ has called us to. Oh, look, this, this is a foundational trust that we must have, is that when, when God calls, when Jesus speaks, it is impertinent, it is important, it is something that we need to hear and live in our lives. Foundational trust. That's what faith is about. Follow me. Jesus says, and Matthew got up and followed Him. Let's, let's, uh, let's get a little personal here. Is Jesus the absolute authority in your life this morning? I can't answer that for you. But you can. Do you immediately respond to obedience, with obedience to God's Word? Second thing. Foundational trust that Jesus' authority is absolute. The second thing, filtering tradition. Now, this is going to go along with what I just talked about, this common sense and this uh, um, uh, the, the subjective emotionalism. But you look at the, the response. Matthew got up and followed him. What happens is this. Matthew gets up and begins to follow after Jesus. And all of a sudden, Matthew begins to, to attract a crowd. There's something different about Matthew. He's no longer lying, cheating, stealing in a tax collector booth. He's no longer in a lucrative pursuit of money uh, in, his, in his governmental position. And so, Jesus goes with Matthew to Matthew's house, and there's a crowd that gathers there. That crowd is made up, the Scripture says, of tax collectors and sinners. Now, there's something cultural there, and there's something religious there. Culturally, they despised tax collectors because they were, they were traitors to, to, to Israel. They were traitors to their Jewish brethren. They sold out to the Roman government. They were in the political system, the governmental system, and they were cheating their brothers. And culturally, they could not stand the tax collectors. But then there was a sinner. Sinner. Now that could be a, a plethora of things. It doesn't really get specific. It just These are people that, that weren't welcomed in the religious system for whatever reason. Uh, maybe their maybe their job was to work with the pigs, or maybe their uh, they had done something that had had caused them to be looked down on on shame, in shame. Well, they're they're labeled. They're, these tax collectors and sinners have gone in and and become a part of uh, of this gathering, and Jesus is right in the middle. 
And then all of a sudden, the Pharisees and the scribes, they begin to grumble and complain. Who does this guy think he is? Why in the world, if he's such a good teacher, would he go hang out with these tax collectors and sinners? Surely he knows who they are. Surely he knows what they've done. Surely he knows. And surely, if he were a good person, he wouldn't have anything to do with them. See, these Pharisees, they had filtering traditions. That is, religious traditions and cultural opinions that can hinder obedience to Him. They were blinded by their own ideas. Look, they would have been okay with Jesus if He had just done everything like it had always been done. He, they would have been okay with Jesus if He would have taught from the, uh, from the prescribed lessons. Uh, they would have been okay with Him if He had worn the right clothes. He would, they would have been okay with Him if He had sung the right songs or hung around the right people and shunned the wrong ones. They would have been okay with Him if He had been affiliated with the right government politics. But they weren't okay with Him. They weren't okay with Him because He didn't meet their standards and their criteria. And they could not see the heart of God in sending Jesus because they had filtered everything through their own traditions and opinions. Let's get personal. Are there traditions that skew your own understanding and obedience to Jesus? And I want you to be honest with you. Do you have some traditions or opinions that skew your own understanding and obedience to Jesus? Does your personal religious experience, or let me give you a parenthetical word there, self-righteousness. Does your self-righteousness cause you to look down on others who have not, uh, do not have the experience with Jesus you do? Does, does your religious mentality cause you to look at others who don't dress like you, look like you, talk like you, make decisions like you? Does, does your religious experience cause you to shy away? from those who need Jesus, those tax collectors to sin. Does your holiday ritual impede your willingness to serve Jesus by serving others? We're not careful. What we've always done becomes a huge wall that keeps us from doing what Christ would have us do. Does your personal comfort prevent you from any opportunity of service? Well, I'm introverted. And I don't, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable speaking to people or talking to people I don't know. Look at me. I feel your pain. But it doesn't prevent us. It shouldn't prevent us from serving the Lord. I know of at least one individual uh, who refused. Uh, we, we were, Wendy and I were talking one, one time, we were talking about going on a mission trip. And, um, and, and this one we were in Kentucky. Uh, I talked to some folks about going on a mission trip and their response was this, I won't ever go. Why? why? I mean, you're, you're, you've got the money, you've got the resources, why in the world would you not go? Because going there would mean I'd have to get on an airplane. I thought, we're going to have to go Mr. T on you, buddy. Now, for you young people, ask your parents who Mr. T is later. 
Um, you'll find him very entertaining on the AP. It, it's one, we, we have these ideas. We have these, these things that our comfort is the priority. That's what we're to live for. That's what we're to, to die for. Nowhere in Scripture were Peter and Paul living for comfort. They were living for Jesus. Sometimes those opinions, those ideas stand in our way of this obedience like Matthew had. Let me, let me get to, to, to this, uh, this really important thing for us to understand, this faithful truth this Christmas. Verse 17, when Jesus heard it, when he heard the grumbling, he heard the complaining, he said to them, those who are well have no need of, of physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm glad that when he called me, he wasn't looking for a righteous guy. I'm glad that he found me in my sin and he saved me. I'm glad that he found me in a place where although I thought I was good, although I thought I had everything going on, though I thought that I was I was right with God in some way, I'm glad he found me and he woke me up out of that pit and he set my feet on a righteous on a, on a righteous plane. Faithful truth is this. Jesus came to reach the unreachable, to touch the untouchable, to radically change lives. And friends, that truth will never change. Those people that we keep at arm's length because they're not like us, they don't think like us, they don't act like us, those are people that Christ died for. Those people that we're afraid to come into contact with because of skin color or because of, uh, of, of tattoos or whatever may plague them. Those are people Christ died for. And if He came to die for them, the foundational truth is this. The faithful truth is that Jesus came for them. Just like He came for you. See, Jesus knew there was a far greater need than any of us could even realize. And He came to meet it. There was a pandemic. A pandemic of sin that transcends our physical illness down to our core in all mankind. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And into that existence, into that pandemic of sin, God sends His Son that first Christmas morning to be the great remedy for that problem. Romans 5, 8. But God commended His love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were in the worst condition possible, while we were in the depths of sin, condemned to die, God shows His love for us in this, that Christ died for our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to me this morning. If we understand this is the purpose of Christmas, this is the purpose of God in Christmas, we must know that Christmas is far more than trees and Santa Claus. It's far more than carols and winter snow. Christmas is the celebration of God's implementation of a rescue mission through His Son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus stood with the scroll in Nazareth there in the synagogue, he was handed this, this, this copy of Isaiah and he opened it. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
to recover uh, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. His purpose transcends anything we can do here. Jesus, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. He didn't come to, call, to pet the petty. He didn't come to help those who could help themselves. He didn't come to promote the powerful or praise the religious practitioner. He didn't come to exalt the egomaniac. Jesus said, I did come to call sinners to repentance. I came to mend the brokenhearted. I came to free the captives. I came to heal the diseased and dying. I came to to set oppressed men free. I came to rescue and redeem the world dying in sin. See, when we understand the purpose of Christ and the purpose of Christmas, it really should alter our lives. It really should change the way we approach and live our lives. Listen, playing church is no longer acceptable. Playing church is no longer acceptable. This is not a social club with members-only privileges. You see, I don't remember who said it, but the old statement is this, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. You see, occupying a building is not enough. I hear it. I hear it when, when people ask me, where do you go to church? Or where are you the pastor? And I tell them Friendship Baptist Church. And they say, Ooh, that big church with the red building on, on Highway 15. Like, yeah, that's the one. That's a big church. And they ooh and ah at a big church with big, beautiful facilities. Can I tell you, our facilities can become idols in our lives if we're not focusing on Christ. We can get it built and get settled in and lose sight of the one who has redeemed us all. The status quo is not enough when we understand the true purpose of Christmas. Self-righteousness is no longer acceptable. Scripture says our goodness is as filthy rags. And if our goodness is as filthy rags, then we only have one hope, and that is the righteousness, the goodness of Christ. See, our, our lives are not to be built only on our personal, private, religious experience. Our lives are to be, to built, to be built on the purpose of Christ that first Christmas. To reach the unreachable. To touch the untouchable. And to alter, to change lives with the good news that Jesus saves. Let me get personal with you this morning again. Uh, the first thing I, I would ask you here is this. Are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Are you, are you merely a religious practitioner? You, you know all the parts. You know all the lines. You know all the, the ins and outs. You know when to stand up, when to sit down. You know when to come in or go out. You know when to hold that note out or to, 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 to shorten this one. You know all the details of how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to live while your heart is void. Lifeless? Or have you experienced the grace, the 
saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that sets you free and gives you life that transcends religious practices. Are you this morning saved? Do you know Jesus? Question two. If you are saved and you know Jesus, does your life live up to Christ's purpose to reach the unreachable, to touch the untouchable, and to change lives with the good news that Jesus saves? See, Jesus did not come to leave you where you are. He didn't even come to make a better version of you. He came to a spiritually dead people. He lived among them for 33 years and He gave His life on a cross to pay the penalty of their sin, their deadness. And He was raised again by the power of God so that their lives, so that our lives, so that you and I no longer have to be spiritually dead, but can be given life, everlasting life, abundant life, brand new eternal life when we trust and believe in Him. Jesus said to Matthew, follow Immediately, Matthew got up from his tax collector's booth and followed Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, will you do the same? Will you follow him to salvation, lost person this morning? Will you be saved today? Christian, would you follow him to, to align your life and his? His purpose. His plan, His will, your top priority. Would you follow Him? Starting right now. Pray with me, Father. I thank You for the good news of Jesus. I thank You, Lord, that that first Christmas was not just a birthday. That was a birthday on purpose. With purpose to reach into our lives, to touch those that would never be touched. Father, I thank You for that. Today, there's some here that have never experienced the goodness of Your salvation. They've heard about it. They've fallen into this religious practice. They've never truly been saved. And today, you're convicting them of their sin. I pray that right now they would call out to you to acknowledge their sin, to repent of that sin, to believe and receive the good news of Jesus. They'd be saved today. Father, for Christians, I pray that for me, for every one of us, there's no more playing church, no more filling a role, but that every breath we take, every step we make, our lives would be made on purpose for Jesus. 
God, may you turn our world upside down. That's what we're talking about. Lord, may we follow you right now.